One of the best kings that Israel had, a great king. Now, as you have seen with our studies here before, there's a lot of ups and downs with the kings. A lot of ups and downs. We've been talking about this the last couple weeks, and we're going to always put this up to remind you of what we're dealing with here. Saul was the first king of Israel, then David. We're pretty familiar with those. Then Solomon. Now, when Solomon died, the kingdom split. Rehoboam became king over Benjamin and Judah, which became known as the kingdom of Judah. And then Jeroboam became king over the ten northern tribes, which is Israel there. Uh, next slide, please, Dustin. And this is what we've just been talking about. Saul, David, Solomon, Rehoboam, and Abijah, Asa. That's about 140 years. We could add one more to that, and that's Jehoshaphat. And we'll kind of keep our uh, lineage going here. And we talked about Jehoshaphat. So tonight now, we're going to go with after Jehoshaphat's descendants. Now, you've heard me say this a lot before when studying through the Bible. Sometimes the Bible reads a little bit like a soap opera. And I hate to say this, but these three chapters tonight, my goodness, there's a lot of stuff going on with these three chapters. And there's a lot of information with that. So what I've kind of done here is I got a couple slides I'm going to put up of just the people's names because it can get a little confusing. And so I just want to kind of show you this. And so we got these are the names we're going to start out with here tonight. This is kind of like if you're watching a play, these are your main characters here tonight. So as I make mention of them, that way you can kind of keep looking back up there and referencing them to it. Now, you've heard me say this a lot as we go through Chronicles. Paul says that these Old Testament examples were given to us to learn what to do and to learn what not to do. Now, with Jehoshaphat, for the last two weeks, we learned a lot of what to do. Tonight, I don't know if there's one good guy mentioned in this. These are some rough people tonight, and the things that they do, it is sin nature at its best, if that even makes sense. So, 2 Chronicles 21, Jehoshaphat has passed away, verse 1, and Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. Let's find out about how Jehoram was. He had brothers, the sons of Jehoshaphat. He had Azrael, Jehiel, Zechariah, Azrahu, Michael, and Shapheth. All these were the sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. Their father gave them great gifts of silver and gold and precious things which fortified, with fortified cities in Judah. But he gave the kingdom to Jehoram because he was the firstborn. Now when Jehoram was established over the kingdom of his father, he strengthened himself and killed all of his brothers with the sword. And also the, all the others of the princes of Israel. So that's Jehoram. He is following his father, one of the best kings Israel has. And how does he respond? He takes out all of his brothers. So that way he can get his position to be stronger. So Jehoram, king of Judah, immediately takes out his brothers and kills all of them to make sure that it can only be him. And it just keeps getting worse. Verse 5. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done. For he had the daughter of Ahab as a wife and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Let's remind ourselves here. Ahab. Ahab was one of the most evil kings that have ever existed, arguably the most evil king of Israel, the northern tribes. And what happened with Jehoshaphat, one of the teaching points we had with Jehoshaphat was Jehoshaphat kept aligning himself with Ahab. And we talked about the dangers of aligning yourself with evil. And what happened with Jehoshaphat, he kept getting himself in trouble again and again and again. Finally, by the end of Jehoshaphat's reign, there was a great reference where Jehoshaphat finally told them no. But he just kept returning to the vomit again and again and again. So what do you see going on here with Jehoram? Same thing. His wife was a daughter of Ahab, verse 6. And so he hooks himself up with Israel. And there's this connection now. 
And this connection is going to be a problem. Verse 7. Yet the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David. And since he had promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever. Now in his days, Edom revolted against Judah's authority and made a king over themselves. Now let's talk about Edom for a little bit. Edom. These are the descendants of Esau. If you remember your Old Testament chronology, let's start with Abraham. Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob has the 12 sons. It becomes the 12 tribes of Esau. Esau lost the birthright, if you remember that from our study there in the book of Genesis. So Esau's descendants became the people of Edom. And these guys had always been a little bit of a thorn in the side to Israel. When Israel was leaving Egypt, they asked permission to go through Edom. And Edom's king said, no, we're not allowing it. And then God said, I don't want you to destroy them. So they've always kind of been around. Well, finally what happens is Saul in 1 Samuel 14 defeats Edom and he takes them over. So now about a hundred and what? 150, 160 years later, there's this little bit of a revolt. And so they revolt against Jehoram. Verse 9, so Jehoram went out with his officers and all his chariots with him. And he rose by night and attacked the Edomites, which had surrounded him and the captains of the chariots. Thus Edom had been in revolt against Judah's authority to this day. At that time, Libnon revolted against his rule because he had forsaken the Lord God of his fathers. Moreover, he made high places in the mountains of Judah and caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit harlotry and led Judah astray. Now, we've given you a lot of information here in the first 11 verses. Let's get a teaching point out of this now. What can we learn from Jehoram? What we can learn is this. He's not following in the good steps of his father. He is aligning himself with evil. He is, what is he doing? He's taking out his brothers. He's not asking for the Lord's help when Edom comes and tries to rebel against him. And if you look in verse 11, the high places, that means, once again, he's setting up false idolatry and false worship and harlotry. He's not doing anything right. So now what should God do with this information? Well, I think he probably needs to be judged, right? Always remember this. If anybody ever wants to present to you this concept and this idea that God is this angry God that just likes to judge people, you always have to read the whole story. This Jehoram deserves to be judged. He's an awful king. He's doing awful things. But what does God do first before he judges him? Verse 12. And a letter came to him from Elijah the prophet. Now, you guys know Elijah. Elijah is arguably the most famous of the prophet of the Old Testament. Elijah is a great guy. Elijah appears at the Mount of Transfiguration. Some people believe Elijah could be one of the two witnesses in the book of Revelation. Elijah sends him a letter. Now, Elijah's main ministry was to the northern tribes. That was his main ministry. But here, the Lord led him to send this letter to Jehoram. What's it say? Verse 12. Thus says the Lord God of your father David... Because you have not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat, your father, or in the ways of Asa, king of Judah, but have walked in the way of the kings of Israel and have made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to play the harlot like the harlot tree, the house of Ahab. And you have also killed your brothers, those of your father's household, who are better than yourself. Behold, the Lord will strike your people with a serious affliction, your children, your wives, and all your possessions. And you will become very sick with the disease of your intestines until your intestines come out by reason of the sickness day by day. P.S. Have a good day. I mean, that's quite the letter to get. That's quite the letter. Now, see, you know, you may look at that letter and say, that's harsh. That's a little bit of grace and mercy. That's a warning. Hey, buddy, this is what's coming. This is what's coming. So he has an opportunity to hear the judgment that will come. Here's the danger. And, And I have seen this in the decades I've been out here. People hear the truth, maybe even walk in the truth a little bit. They show up regularly. They can quote the verses, 
but their heart is not fully given to the Lord. And God keeps warning them and giving them opportunities, and eventually the full judgment comes. God in His grace and mercy has no desire in the death of the wicked. Makes it very clear in the Bible. He has none. He's trying to warn this Jehoram. This is what's going to happen. Verse 16, Moreover, the Lord stirred up against Jehoram the spirit of the Philistines and the Arabians who were near the Ethiopians. And they came up into Judah and invaded it and carried away all the possessions that were found in the king's house, also his sons and his wives. So there was not a son left to him except Jehoshaphat, the youngest of his sons. After all this, the Lord struck him in his intestines with an incurable disease. Then it happened in the course of that time, after the end of two years, that his intestines came out because of his sickness. So he died in severe pain, and his people made no burning for him like the burning of his fathers. The people were so glad that he was dead, they don't even celebrate him as a king. He was 32 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem eight years, and to no one's sorrow departed. Can you imagine saying that at a funeral? And to no one's sorrow he has departed. However, they buried him in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. Talk about a wasted life. This guy's father was one of the best kings that that, uh, Judah ever had. This guy could have continued this on. Instead, first act he does as kings, take out the competition. Aligns himself with evil. Resets up idolatry in the high places. Ignores prophet Elijah's rebuke. And next thing you know, he loses his family his wives, his possessions, and ultimately a horrible, tragic death. One commentator said this, the death that he died was really just a picture of what was going on in the the inside. Excuse me, His inside was so spiritually rotten. It's almost this visible picture of this death. What an awful thing this is. So what can we learn from this? If you choose to take the path of sin, here, listen up. Sin will destroy you physically. Sin will destroy you spiritually. Sin will take your family from you. And sin will ultimately take your life, your kingdom, your possessions, and everything. It will take everything from you. And that's what you see here with Jehoram. This man that wanted to walk in the flesh lost everything. Lost his physical health, his spiritual health, his family, his kingdom, his possessions, his life, everything. We had four chapters of pretty good Jehoshaphat. A man whose heart was following the Lord. Now we have one chapter of Jehoram whose heart was against the Lord and you see what happens. Jehoram is a picture of what happens when you let sin rule your life. Sin will eat you from the inside out and will completely, utterly destroy you. Any quick questions on who Jehoram was or any questions about him and his life or ministry? Okay, now I wish I could say it gets better. It doesn't get any better here at all. Can you go to the next slide here, Dustin? Let's learn about our next group of people. Verse 20, excuse me, chapter 22. Then the inhabitants of Jerusalem made Ahaziah, his youngest son, king in his place. For the raiders who came with the Arabians into the camp had killed all the older sons. So Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, reigned. Only son he has left becomes king. Ahaziah was 42 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athelia. Please remember Athelia, the granddaughter of Omri. Now that should ring a bell a little bit. Let's look at our names here. Ahaziah is the king of Judah. Athelia is the daughter of Jezebel and Ahab. Jehoram's wife. Remember Ahab, one of the most evil men that ever existed. Guess who now is kind of pulling the puppet strings? Athelia. So what do we think Athelia is going to do as, if you, I dare say, queen mother? Verse 3, he also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother advised him to do wickedly. 
Therefore he did evil in the sight of the Lord, like the house of Ahab, for they were his counselors after the death of his father to his destruction. Okay, I know I keep repeating this point, but it bears repeating again and again. Do not align yourself with evil. Do not follow the advice and counsel of evil. Do not follow the wisdom of evil. God has given this wonderful book, wonderful book, 66 chapters, excuse me, 66 books long. Follow the advice of the Bible. The Holy Spirit given guidance and direction. So often I'm talking to people and I hear the counsel and advice they have and it is not biblical. Not biblical. But where did you hear that from? Well, I don't know. I was talking to this guy at work and he thinks, oh man, I'm not saying co-workers can be bad. But unless they're trying to give you godly spiritual counsel through the Holy Spirit, be careful. Well, I was talking to this other guy and he's a Christian. Okay, do you know how ambiguous that term Christian is? Let's just stick to what the Bible says, and let's stick to scriptures, and let's stick to godly advice. What do we see what's going on here with Ahazia? He's letting Athelia guide and direct him, who's evil. He's walking in the ways of the house of Ahab, verse 3, that's evil, advising him to do wickedly. And verse 4, he's following the counselors of evil to his destruction. What do we think is going to happen when we choose to live a life that's not lined up with the scriptures? When we choose to live a life that's not lined up with the scriptures, it's going to lead to destruction. It is. Let's not be shocked by this. Let's not be surprised by this. This is the fruit of those actions we take. You know, we just read in Matthew not that long ago, there's good fruit and there's bad fruit. When we choose not to align ourselves with the scriptures, we're going to go right down the path of bad fruit. Now, as we mentioned earlier, there's always grace and mercy and forgiveness. The problem is with these kings, they're not seeking that. What does he do? Verse 5. He also followed their advice and went with Jehoram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, to war against Ahaziah, king of Syria, Aramath Gilead, and the Syrians wounded Joram. So what does he do now? He says, I'm going to line myself up again with Israel. I'm going to line myself up again with the descendants of Ahab. Verse 6, then he returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds which he had received at Ramah when he fought against Ahaziah, king of Syria. And Azria, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Jehoram, the son of Ahab, in Israel, because he was sick. Now, just kind of follow what's going on here. What we have going on is he gets wounded, verse 5, the king there of Israel. He comes back to recover. He goes up to kind of visit. This is that closeness they have. Verse 7. His going to Joram was God's occasion for Isaiah's downfall. For when he arrived, he went out with Jehoram against Jehu, the son of Nimshi, whom the Lord had anointed to cut off the house of Ahab. And it happened when Jehu was executing judgment on the house of Ahab and found the princes of Judah and the sons of Isaiah's brothers who served Isaiah, that he killed them. That he searched for Hosea, and they caught him, he was hiding in Samaria, and brought him to Jehu. When they killed him, they buried him, because they said, He is the son of Jehoshaphat, who sought the Lord with all his heart. This is where it gets really confusing, and I just want you to follow along with me. That's why we have this up here. So we're talking about Ahazia, king of Judah. Athelia, the daughter of Jezebel and, and Ahab, is basically guiding him with wickedness. Now what happened is this. There's this guy that's introduced by the name of Jehu. Jehu. Jehu was raised up by God for one purpose, just to judge everybody and take them out. I mean, if you were making a movie plot like this, this is almost one of those little mobster mafia wars where he takes everybody out. Here's the list of everybody that Jehu took care of. Jehu killed Joram, the king of Israel. Jehu killed Asia, the king of Judah. He killed all the worshipers of Baal. He ordered Jezebel's death. He ordered the beheading of all of Ahab's sons, and he also had all of Asia's sons killed as well. 
This man was raised up by the Lord to do this. Now, it's not mentioned much here in Chronicles. You only get one little reference to what's going on here in verse 7. But if you go read Kings, there's chapter after chapter of what Jehu does. Now, how in the world could the Lord use something like that? Because you know what happens to Jehu at the end? He's not a real good guy. He gets judged himself. There's a little verse that the Bible uses a lot, and we have a tendency to skip over it, where the Bible says that God uses his enemies as a footstool. What's a footstool? A footstool is something really small and insignificant that you carry around, and what's its sole purpose? For you to step on. And you step on it to do what? To reach the task that you want to do. God, who is infinite, and God, who is sovereign, he can say, hey, Jehu, you're a rough, tough guy. You're not a good guy by any means, but I'm going to use you. And I'm going to use you to execute judgment on what's going on here. And this is exactly what he does. He uses Jehu to judge all this sin. It's kind of like when you go back and read the book of Judges, and you're trying to read the life of Samson. And as you're reading the life of Samson to your kids, you're trying to stop and say, I can't think of one good thing to say about this guy. So what do I teach my boys? How Samson wanted the Philistine prostitute? I don't really want to talk about that. Do I want to talk about Samson and Delilah? No, I don't really want to talk about that. But God uses individuals like that for his purpose as a footstool to accomplish the task that he wants. Jehu was one of these guys that was rough and tough, and God said, I'm going to use you. And he judges Israel with him. He judges Baal with him. He judges Judah with him. He judges Ahab's family with him. He judges Ahaziah's sons with him. He uses all of them. And what happens is this. Verse 9. So the house of Azaziah had no one to assume power over the kingdom. All of his kids are killed. you know what this means? Verse 10. Now when Athelia, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal heirs of the house of Judah. Okay. Do you understand what that verse just said? Athelia steps up. Grandma steps up. Notices kids are dead. Notices that there's really nobody else to rule and reign. So you know what she does? Verse 10, she kills all of her grandchildren. So that way she can be the queen. See, those people don't know this. There was actually a queen for a little bit, just for six years. So what happens is she kills her own descendants so that way she can have power. So that's what she does. Verse 10, she destroyed all the royal heirs of the house of Judah. She takes everybody out so that way she can be the queen. But guess what God does? Verse 11. But Jehoshabeth, the daughter of the king, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered, and put him in his nurse in a bedroom. So Jehoshabeth, the daughter of King Jehoram, the wife of Jehodiah, the priest, for she was a sister of Ahaziah, so the sister takes one of her nephews and hid him from Athelia, so she did not kill him. He was hidden with him in the house of God for six years, while Athelia reigned over the land. That guy's name was Joash. So just put this all in perspective. Ahaziah is judged. His sons are being murdered by Jehu. Jehoshaphat, his aunt, grabs one son, Joash, who's only a year old, hides him. Grandma now resumes power. She takes out any other descendant that could claim the throne. And so for six years, she reigns as queen while this little boy, Joash, is being hidden away. Being hidden away by the protection of God for the big reveal that's going to come up. Now, this is just the sinfulness of man. I mean, seriously, I I have reached a point now where I just don't even want to look at any news headlines anymore. 
It's just not worth it to hear about these awful, awful things going on in the world. I'm saying this for me personally. I'm not saying this for you. So please don't walk out of this service night saying, well, James is telling me I can't. I'm not saying that. I'm saying for me personally, I'm not edified by looking at the newspapers. I'm not edified by going through the headlines on the website. I'm not edified by watching the nightly news. I'm just saying for me personally, nothing good comes out of it. And before we start thinking that the whole world is going downhill, guys, the whole world has been going downhill since Eve and Adam ate the fruit. There's nothing new under the sun. So when we look at these headlines now and say, I can't believe they did that. We just talked about a grandma taking out her grandkids. We just talked about this guy Jehu beheading the sons of Ahab. We just talked about Jehoram saying, I want to take out all my brothers to make sure I'm king. And we're of only two chapters. This is, this is the sinful nature of man. Sinful nature of man. We were talking the other day, uh, a group of us, just about all the awful things going on in the world. And we talked about, do you realize that that's been going on forever? I mean, it's just been going forever. We talk about abortion, but you know what? They offered their children up to Molech back in the Bible. You know, you talk about, you know, the idea of just pornography and what's out there available to look at any time you want. There's temple prostitutes back during Paul's time. Sin nature has always been there. It just takes different forms. So what do we see right here? This is just man at its best. Man says, I will kill for power. I will kill for greed. I will kill for the kingdom. I will do anything to get what I want and get ahead. So the next time you're at work and one of your coworkers lies about you, one of your coworkers tells a story about you, and you look at them and you say, how could they? How can they go home and be okay with that? Just remember Athelia taking out her grandchildren just so she can be queen. So that's where chapter 22 ends. Joash in hiding. Athelia has taken out everybody. And she's reigning as queen over the nation of Judah here for a few years. Now, we get to get into Joash. And I'm telling you right now, Joash is a good guy. It's going to be a fun study. But we have to get to the point of him being king yet. Right now, he's only one year old. Any quick questions, comments about Athelia or Ahazia, anybody? Brian. Uh, king Jehu being an instrument of the judgment of God. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then the Greeks and then the Romans came after them. Yeah, it's his footstool. And you bring up an absolutely wonderful point. Israel needed to be judged. He uses Assyria, just like you said. Well, Assyria, it's not fair that Assyria gets away with it. No, they don't. Babylon judges Assyria. And then, like I said, the Medes and the Persians judge Babylon. The Greeks judge the Medes. And, I mean, it just builds up. God will always make sure, He will always make sure that judgment is given. But in the midst of judgment, there's always grace. So anytime you want to focus on an Athelia taking out her grandkids, you have to remember there's a Jehoshabeth. There's an aunt that is doing the righteous thing and protecting Joash. That's the beauty of the Lord. It it reminds me a lot of, of Moses. You know, there's this Moses that is just miraculously saved. God always will keep our hand on us. And that's the beautiful thing about it. It will still rain on us. It will still pour on us. We'll still go through the same thunderstorms as the non-believers. But God gets us through it because our foundation is on Christ. Anybody else have anything want to say here before we go on? Okay, let's find out a little bit about Jehoash. Excuse me, uh, Joash here. Uh, verse 1, chapter 23. It says, In the seventh year, Jehoda strengthened himself and made a covenant with the captains of hundreds. Now this Jehoda, what he is, is he is a priest... Remember, his name's up here. You can see this. Priest who helped hide Joash. 
So now, after being a six years old, it's time. It's time. So what he does is he gets together all the different captains of the hundreds. And here's all the different Levites. And verse 2, they went throughout Judah and gathered the Levites from all the cities of Judah and the chief fathers of Israel. And they came to Jerusalem. Then all the assembly made a covenant with the king in the house of God. And he said to them, Behold, the king's son shall reign as the Lord has said of the sons of David. This is what you shall do. One third of you entering on the Sabbath of the priests and the Levites shall be keeping watch over the doors. One third shall be at the king's house and one third at the gate of the foundation. All the people shall be in the courts of the house of the Lord. But let no one come into the house of the Lord except the priest and those of the Levites who serve. They may go in, for they are holy, but all the people shall keep watch of the Lord. And the Levites shall surround the king on all sides, every man with his weapons in hand, and whoever comes into the house, let him be put to death. You are to be with the king when he comes in and when he goes out. Put this in perspective, what's going on? It's a shift change at the temple. So what happens is there's the Levites going off their shift. The other Levites are coming in on their shift. So Jehodia says, now's the time to bring out Joash. He says, everybody arm yourself. Third of you are going to stand here. A third of you are going to stand here. A third of you are going to stand here. We're going to bring the king out, proclaim him as king. If anybody comes in, take them out. We're going to protect this young boy. Verse 8, so the Levites and all Judah did according to all that Jehodia the priest commanded. And each man took his men who were to be on duty on the Sabbath and those who were going off duty on the Sabbath. For Jehodah the priest had not dismissed the divisions. And Jehodah the priest given to the captains of hundreds the spears and the large and small shields which had belonged to King David that were in the temple of God. Then he said all the people, every man with his weapon in his hand from the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple, along by the altar and by the temple all around the king. They brought out the king's son, put the crown on him, gave him the testimony, and made him king. And then Jehodiah and his sons anointed him and said, long live the king. Wouldn't you love to have seen that? Wouldn't you love to see that? I, I have a six-year-old boy. Can you imagine this kid? All of a sudden, he's, he's been hidden in the temple. All of a sudden, he comes out. And as you walk out, there's literally thousands of Levites surrounding you, boxing you in with weapons in hand. You come out and long live the king. Now, if this was a movie, you'd think it's almost scripted too well. Because you got now Athelia. How is she going to handle this? Verse 12. Now, when Athelia heard the noise of the people running and praising the king, she came to the people in the temple of the Lord. When she looked, there was the king standing by his pillar at the entrance. The leaders and the trumpeters were by the king. All the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets and all the singers with musical instruments and those who led in praise. So Athelia tore her clothes and said, treason, treason. I love that. This isn't fair. I killed my grandchildren fair and square, and you're taking the kingdom from me. That's what she's basically saying. Treason, treason. Have you not ever seen that? Where somebody is so deep into sin, and they're picking out this the tiniest little specks in your life. Ah, this woman has been ruling wrongfully, dare we say illegally for years. She has blood on her hand. She's an evil, awful, wicked woman. And she has the audacity to say treason, treason. I never thought it was possible. But after a while, you start running into people whose hearts are so hard to the things of the Lord, you stop and wonder, do they even feel conviction anymore? 
And is this woman even moved by any of this anymore? Verse 14. And Jehodiah the priest brought out the captains of hundreds who were set over the army and said to them, Take her outside under the guard and slay her with the sword, whoever follows her. For the priest had said, Do not kill her in the house of the Lord. So they seized her. She went by the way of the entrance of the horse gate into the king's house, and they killed her there. So Athelia is done. We get now a good king and the king of Joash. Now, before we get to our final points here, remember what we said about Jehoram. Talked about how sin will take you physically. Sin will destroy you spiritually. Sin will take your family. Sin will take your kingdom. Sin will take your life. Sin will take everything from you. And it will eat you from the inside out. Now we get to end with something good. There's these next few verses are just a beautiful picture of how we're supposed to respond and react. Verse 16. Then Jehodiah made a covenant between himself and the people and the king, and they should be the Lord's people. First things first. Make a covenant with the Lord. A covenant is an agreement. And we don't have a good English word to describe how powerful this agreement is. This covenant is is a deep promise. A deep promise. And so what's going on here is you make a promise and a commitment to the Lord. That's where everything starts. So as we go through this list, we'll start with step one. Have you ever made the promise of commitment to the Lord? Have you ever stopped and said, you are my God. I am your child. You are my Savior. You died for me. I live for you. We have to start there. If you do not start there, there's nothing that can be done. You have to have the foundation of Christ. Have to have the foundation of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.11 said there's no other foundation that can be laid other than the foundation of Christ. Christ has to be the foundation of a life. Christ has to be the foundation of a marriage. It does. And so what happens here is you have to start out with the covenant. I run into so many people that want their life to change and to be better and to do all this other type of stuff. But they're going to try to do it on their own power. No, start with the covenant. So we make the agreement, the covenant, the promise. What do we do next? Verse 17. And all the people went to the temple Baal and tore it down. They broke in pieces its altars and images and killed Mountain, the priest of Baal, before the altars. Your next step, clean house. Once you make that promise of commitment to the Lord, you make that covenant, you're following him, you have a relationship with Christ, you're born again. Verse 7, clean house. Go through your life. What things need to be cleaned up? What do you need to get rid of? Maybe it's literal, physical things you need to get rid of. Maybe it is. Maybe this cleaning house spiritually. You have unforgiveness. You have doubt. You have worry. You have fear. You have bitterness that you need to stop and get rid of. Lord, that is a false temple in my temple that's supposed to be serving you. I want to get rid of it. So you clean house. Verse 18. And Jehodiah appointed the oversight of the house of the Lord to the hand of the priests, the Levites, whom David had signed in the house of the Lord, to offer the burnt offerings of the Lord, as it's written in the law of Moses, with rejoicing and with singing, as it was established by David. So what is going on now, verse 18? They are now getting the daily worship, the daily offerings going. See, here's the thing. Your covenant relationship with Christ, you've cleaned house, now verse 18, this is a daily thing. A daily thing. Sometimes I think we as believers throw around this term daily devotions just so much. And we treat it like some type of homework. I mean, we do that with our boys. The boys get up. We're watching them. Maybe we're playing a video game in the morning. Boys, did you do your devotions this morning? Yep. All righty. Let's move on. Well, did you learn anything? Don't know. What did you learn to read about? Don't know. Okay, we'll just keep playing your video game. At least you did it. And sometimes I think that's how we treat it. It's just this. We do it. But what you're really seeing here in verse 18 is you're seeing a refocus daily. Let's get the offerings going. Let's get the sacrifices going. Let's get the daily relationship with Christ going. What does that look like for you? I think for everybody, it can look a little different. 
I'm not going to sit here and tell you this is what your daily time with the Lord needs to look like because it's a personal time between you and the Lord. But I do know this, it's vital, it's important, and it will bless you. And if you have people in your household, I encourage you to get them involved with it as much as possible. So, covenant, clean house, daily devotion, verse 19. And he set the gatekeepers at the gates of the house of the Lord so that no one who was in any way unclean should enter. What's next in your relationship with the Lord? Verse 19, set some guards up. Put some guards up. You know the areas you're weak in. You know the shows you probably shouldn't watch. You know the music you probably shouldn't listen to. You know the areas you need to stay away from. Put some guards up there. Get some accountability. Fast and pray over those issues. You know there's going to be a battle. So often we look at sin when it enters our life like we're surprised. Oh, I can't believe I did that. Oh, God knew you were going to do it. He's not surprised by that. We're the only ones still surprised when we sin. Set some guards up on those areas that you're weak in. Guess what? That's going to be tough to do. I find it easier to clean house than it is to set up guards. Because cleaning house that has that emotional high. I'm doing something. I'm getting rid of this. I feel good about myself. But when you set guards up, why are you setting a guard up? Because it's something that you want to come in, but you know you shouldn't. It may be some type of physical temptation. It may be some spiritual thought, a worry, a fear, an anxiety, an anger, a bitterness. Set a guard up for that. Verse 20. Then he took the captains of the hundreds, the nobles, the governors of the people, and all the people of the land, and brought the king down from the house of the Lord. And they went through the upper gate to the king's house and set the king on the throne of the kingdom. What do you do in verse 20? You keep your eyes on the king and you make sure he's on the throne. It's a daily reminder. Keep your eyes on the king. Make sure he's on the throne. Put this together. You have a covenant. You clean house. You have a daily devotion. You set guards. You keep your eyes on the king. Make sure the king's on the throne of your life. What's the result of all this? Verse 21. So all the people of the land rejoiced. That's the rejoicing. And the city was quiet, for they had slain Athelia with the sword. When you have the relationship with Christ, when you clean the house... When you have the daily walk with the Lord, when you set the guards, when your eyes are always on the king, he's on the throne of your life, the result of that will always be joy. Always be joy. It's when you get your eyes off the king that that's when the joy starts to disappear. The joy of the Lord is our strength. I've told you many times before how Elias likes to write me notes. Writes me notes all the time. So he was disappointed in life today. He wrote me a note, brought it to me. And what he does is this. I don't know how we got to this point in our lives. I was sitting at, uh, I was about to say I was sitting at the bar. But I don't really mean that the way it sounds. I was not at the bar. I was in the bar in our kitchen, which still doesn't sound real good. So I was sitting at the counter in our kitchen. And I was actually working on the lesson at the bar. And what happens is Elias just comes in, walks by me, and just throws a note at me and leaves. That's what he does. So I take the note. I open it up, and I wish I would have brought it with me. I, I really wish I would have brought it with me. Starts out that this is the worst day ever. That's how the note starts. And he has a whole list of why it's the worst day ever. And the details don't even matter, but it was really kind of funny. So the five, that's like the worst day ever. Then he got this little paragraph at the bottom about the only way the day could be better is if this and this and this and this would happen, and then the day would be better. Okay, so... What do we do with that? He writes another note later and he hands it to me. And, and he, now he's, it's question and answer. First question is, do you love me? Yes. 
do you love me enough to give me five minutes of your time? Okay? Do you love me enough to go to this place? And he wanted to go someplace, so it was going to cost to take five minutes. So I'm showing this, and then he wanted me to sign it at the bottom, because he knows the importance of signing a contract. So I'm sitting there, and I'm going through this. I find this funny. So I go to Dawn. I say, Dawn Elias gave this to us. Do we love him? Yes. Do you love me enough to, do you love me enough to drive me someplace for five minutes to make me happy? Dawn says, no, I don't. That's Dawn. <laughs> Dawn says, your happiness is in the Lord, not me, Elias. You better learn that now. Make a long story short, I took the note he gave of everything that's wrong with the day. And I went, and I just wrote down Bible verses. And I just said, I gave him the note back. And I said, go look at all the Bible verses. One of them was Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is my strength. One of them was James about how, how dare we plan anything, who are we in the Lord. And I said, Elias, you just need to go give this over to the Lord for the day. Because I said, right now you have your eyes so much focused on what's wrong. And you have your eyes so much focused on you and your disappointments and what's not working. So he goes, he comes back, he reads the verses. And he writes this really nice note. And he says, I'm sorry, you're right. I I had my eyes on me and not on the Lord. So then I reminded him that we don't have to write notes. You can just come talk to me. The point I bring all this up, though, is this. It's verse 20. Keep your eyes on the king. Keep your eyes on the king. Because this is what happens. I'm willing to bet that when you have one of those little woe is me moments through the week, and we all get them, we all get them, I bet at that moment your eyes aren't on the king. I bet you at that moment it's not. I bet at that moment your eyes are on you. And the king's not on the throne. And it happens to all of us. That's what I love about this little idea here that we have. Just these final verses. And just let me repeat it. You got the covenant relationship with Christ. Verse 16. You clean house. You have the daily devotions with the Lord. You set the guards. You keep your eyes on the king. Then finally verse 21. That's when you can rejoice. And what a beautiful, beautiful picture that is. So next week then we'll get into who Joash is. And he's a good king. It's a good study. And we'll definitely be blessed by Joash here. And reading and studying this. Do you have any final questions, comments about anything here? Ryan. Uh, Joe asked me to make tea when he was seven years old. It kind of reminds me of uh, Sarah You know, let me take that point that you said. It kind of seems almost silly. And, and I agree with you, it does. But that's what I love so much about the study on Joash is when you study out Joash, I look at Joash as a picture of us growing in the Lord. Because that's what Joash does. You see this man start out as a boy, learn the scriptures, apply the scriptures, change the... Tem- I mean, and it's an amazing picture of that. And you mentioned about God doing silly things, and that's what he does. I mean, a shepherd boy took on Goliath. I mean, the Lord sometimes likes to do these things that we deem silly, and God says... I can do this. It's kind of a beautiful thing there. Good point. Anybody else have anything here before we close up? All right. Not a lot we can set as a good example. You can't be a Jehoram and take out your brothers. You can't be an Ahazia and take out all the sons there. You can't be an Athelia and take out the grandkids. You can't make the alliances with evil. You can't. But in the midst of all this, you have some of these people. You have a Jehoshabeth, the ant. That keeps Joash safe. You have Jehodiah that gets the nation going back right again. You have Elijah giving that warning. There's always grace in the middle of judgment. And we have this great passage to end on of learning how to keep our eyes on the king. What a beautiful picture that is. Hey, let's close with prayer and then we'll let you guys go. Heavenly Fathers, we just come to you.
What a blessing it was tonight, just the food, the fellowship, the time to get together. I pray that we can just learn from Joash, keep our eyes on the king, and make sure the king is on the throne. That is all that matters, Lord. Help us to keep our heart, mind, and soul focused on you. Um, Small groups, Lord, baptism coming up, all these different events, um, everything, Lord. Special Olympics, it means nothing without you. You're blessing, Lord. Just help us to be the church you've called us to be. And not only us, Lord, but all the churches around here. Just to be a spirit-filled on fire for you, Lord. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. All right, you guys have a good week and God bless.